All right, good morning. Uh, kids, can you guys raise your hands up for me so I can see where you're at? All right, so to start, I've got a question for you. And that question is, how many of you like waiting? Just like standing around waiting for stuff to happen. All right, grown-ups, how many of you like waiting? All right, kids, look around. How many grown-ups are holding up their hands? Zero, right? Nobody, so you're saying nobody in this room likes waiting. Well, then you are all in luck, because the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about waiting. So who's excited for that? Now, I have another question for you. What uh, is coming up at the end of December? Some sort of holiday I'm, I'm told about? Um, let's see, is it uh, St. Patrick's Day? Is that it? No? Valentine's Day? Fourth uh, of July. What, what is it? Christmas, and then right after that is New Year's Eve. What, what, what are, why are you guys, you guys seem excited about Christmas. What's that all about? I'm sorry, what was that? Jesus was born on Christmas, and we celebrate Christmas, right? We celebrate Christmas by worshiping Jesus. Uh, what else do we do on Christmas? We celebrate God's birthday. How do we celebrate his birthday? What's one of the things we do? Do we, do we give stuff to people? What? What do we give? Presents. And do, then do you get presents too, or do we just give them? And are you guys excited about that? So, are you excited about waiting for Christmas? Well, I, I mean, I know. I know we all wish it was like today. But isn't it kind of fun to, to wait and like think about maybe what those presents are under the tree that you might get? Isn't it fun to kind of have that excitement? Yeah, it's fun to do like advent calendars where we open stuff every day. Um, and so that's, that's, a, that's a kind of waiting that we enjoy a little bit. And it, over the next few weeks as a church, we're going to try to grow that excitement and that anticipation and that expectation we have for waiting. And so kids, I would encourage you to go home and talk to your parents about what they learned today about waiting on God and how we as, as families and as individuals that are part of this church can do that together over the next few weeks. So let's go ahead and pray together this morning, and then we'll kind of get into the passage today. God, we thank you that, that you sent Jesus into the world, and that uh, every December... And every day we get to celebrate the realities of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We thank you that we're, we're not like the people in the Old Testament. We don't have to wait for him to come the first time. We get to look back knowing that he has come and, and to see the realities of what he's done for us. And so we pray that uh, this Advent, that uh, as a church and as individuals, um, that you would help us to to recenter and refocus ourselves on the reality that even though Jesus has come, we are still called to be people who wait upon the Lord. So we pray that you would help us through, through your word 
and through encouragement with one another to grow together uh, as a church as we pursue and, and eagerly seek and anticipate your presence as your people. Jesus, we thank you that you came down, you took on flesh, you left heaven and became a baby. And we pray that you would help us to celebrate the reality of your incarnation rightly together uh, this Christmas season. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we've already talked about how uh, we, as a people, just kind of don't like waiting. Um, and, and I think especially for us as, as modern Americans, I think, I think people kind of always have, have hated waiting um, I know that I am probably or potentially a little more impatient than most, but I think that uh, just as, as, as modern people who live in America, we're, we're, we're way worse at waiting than most people are. And that's because we live in a culture of instant gratification, right? We can, we can buy something online and have it in our hands the next day. If we lived in a bigger city than Hannibal, we could have it in our hands the same day. Like 20 minutes ago, I was talking to Maddie, who works for UPS, saying, hey, there's a package of mine in Earth City right now, and it says it won't get here till Tuesday. Like, what's going on? Why can't we make this happen faster? We don't like waiting. Right, right now, we could go home, we could turn on our TVs, and we could watch pretty much anything we wanted to watch. And when the episode's over, we don't have to wait for the next one to come out. In fact, there's a button that we can click so we don't have to wait the full 15 seconds for the next one to automatically start, right? Everything we want pretty much is at our disposal and we don't have to wait for it. And because of that, we don't like to wait. We especially, or at least I especially, don't like waiting in line. That, that is, to me, the worst kind of waiting. And so uh, come with me on a journey to... Two months ago, when Dinah and I were waiting in line at the customer service desk at Walmart to return something. Uh, that, to me, is one of the worst places on the planet. We're there, we're waiting, there's like 10 to 15 people in line, there's one person working, you kind of look at around the person in front of you and the person behind you, you kind of share knowing looks as you're joining in this experience of impatience, uh, waiting for the line to slowly move so you can get up there and it's your turn. Uh, that is, is a very uh, bad place for me to be in my flesh. I don't like to wait at all. I especially don't like to wait for a long time. But there's also waiting that I think we do like. We talked with the kids about waiting for Christmas. There's times where when we're waiting for something that we're really excited about, it's not a bad thing. There's not impatience. There's not grumbling. There's not complaining. There's a, a, a hope and an anticipation and an expectation that builds. I love Christmas. I like to get stuff, but I really like to give stuff. And it's not the, like, God loves a cheerful giver. It's that I am competitive and I want to win gift giving. I want to give the best gift. And so as, you know, like right now at home in my closet, there's a whole bunch of presents that I'm really, really, really excited for our kids to open. Like I wish Christmas was tomorrow. But rather than having my impatience gratified, I like that I have to wait for it to get here because it makes me more and more excited for it. And I think that 
for us together as a church, Advent is supposed to do that for us. It's supposed to build that sense of anticipation and expectation of the presence of God as we together as a church kind of stop doing the normal things that we're doing and take time to refocus and recenter on who God is and what he desires of us. And so this Advent, for the next four weeks, we're going to focus on what it means to wait upon the Lord. We're going to look at the Psalms today. We're going to look at Isaiah and Lamentations, and then we're going to finish up in the book of Romans, looking at what it means for us as God's people to wait for him and what happens when we do. So if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Psalm 27 this morning. It's also going to be on the slides behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. Again, that's Psalm 27. Uh, Psalms is kind of in the middle of your Bible, so you just kind of open it up to the middle. You'll probably be pretty close. Again, that was Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother and my father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This psalm is kind of simultaneously a a psalm of of praise to God, of of David kind of uh, just pouring out the trust and confidence that he has in God. It's that, and it's also a lament. It's him coming to God in a a time of struggle, uh, kind of expressing that he's struggling to trust God. It does both of these things in the same psalm. So in the first half, we see David kind of pouring out the confidence that he has in God, the trust that he has on him. It's, It's on display. But in the second half, he talks about his lament, the things that he's struggling with, the things that he's worried about. And so first, in the first verse, he explains that he doesn't have any reason to fear. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David says that God guides him. God saves him. God is his, his refuge, his stronghold. And because of those things, because of who God is and what he's done for David, David says, I don't have any reason to fear. There's no one for me to be afraid of because God is these things for me. So he's saying, I trust God for these reasons. Verse 2, he says, when evildoers kind of rise up to to eat his flesh, they want to devour devour him like a wild beast, Uh, it's they who stumble and fall. God is protecting David from his enemies. 
He says, even if an army encamps against him, even if a war rises up around him, he is going to remain confident because his trust is in God, because God is his light, because God is his salvation, because God is his stronghold. He trusts in God. He remains confident. And this isn't some sort of empty faith or empty words from David. In verse 4, he says that there's one thing that he's sought after with his life, one thing that he desires, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He has sought more than anything else, more than personal comfort, more than personal safety, more than his rise to power. He has sought God's presence. That's what David's life has been about. That's where this confidence comes from. That's where this trust comes from, because he has sought God more than anything else. In verse 5, he tells us one of the reasons for that seeking God. He says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high up on a rock because he knows that in the presence of God is the best place for him to be. That's where he's going to find deliverance from his enemies. That's where he's going to find safety. That's where he's going to find salvation is being in God's presence. That's one of the reasons why he desires that above all else. And he says, now, in the present, despite what he's going through, his head will be lifted up above his enemies all around. And he's going to offer in God's tent, in the temple, uh, sacrifices with shouts of joy. He's going to sing and make melody to the Lord. David, in the first half of this psalm, because of who God is to him, because of his desire to be in God's presence, is filled with trust and confidence. Even if armies are encamping against him, even if people are seeking to kill him, he believes that God is going to deliver him. So much so that he's ready to praise him now for that future deliverance. Because David is full of faith. He's full of confidence. He's full of trust in the Lord because of who the Lord is and what he has done for David in the past. But things change in verse 7. Look down at verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. And I love that the psalm goes this direction. Because maybe you hear verse 6, where David is just kind of like overflowing with confidence in the Lord. He's saying, God, you're going to deliver me from my enemies. I'm going to praise you for it. All these good things are happening. And you think in your life right now, you don't feel like God is delivering you from your enemies. Maybe in your life right now, you don't have the confidence and trust that David has. Maybe you can't say, God, I'm going to praise you for all that future deliverance that I just know is coming. Maybe you're in a place where you're wondering whether God is going to deliver you. Maybe you're in a place where you feel like all of the enemies are winning and you're losing. It's a good thing there's a second half to this psalm because David here is crying out to God. He's doing what we should do if that's how we feel. If we feel like God isn't delivering us, if we feel like we are losing instead of winning, if we feel like the victory isn't coming, we should do what David does in verse 7, which is cry out to God and say, Hear me, God. You said seek your face. I'm seeking your face. That's what David is doing in verse 7. He's seeking the presence of God in drastically different circumstances than he was in in the first half of the psalm. In the first half, it was all about victory. The second half, it's about struggle and suffering and strife. And I think this is important because I know that there are times when we we talk about our relationship with God and we say things like, it's it's easier 
for us to have a good relationship with God when things are hard. But it's, it's harder to have a good relationship with God when things are easy. And so maybe we say things like, in times in my life where, where things have just been going well, it's easy for me to forget God. It's easy for me to, to pray, or, or it's easy for me to forget to pray because I think things are going easy right now. I don't feel like I need him. And then we'll say things like, well, when things are hard, you know, it's, it's easier to have a good relationship with God because we know that we need him. But I don't think that's true. Because I think it's difficult to have a good relationship with God when things are easy. And it's difficult to have a good relationship with God when things are hard. Because each one brings a different kind of struggle. Each one brings a different kind of difficulty. Because in, in our flesh, we, we don't naturally desire God. In our flesh, on our own, apart from his work in us, apart from Christ's work in us, apart from the Holy Spirit's work within us, we'll never say the kinds of things that David says in verse 4, where he cries out and says, there's one thing that I desire above all else. Because if we're honest, there's a lot of things that we desire that compete for God's attention in our life. And that's why I love the fact that this psalm fits together. Because the reason why David is doing what he's doing in the second half of the psalm is because verse 4 is true of him. He does desire God. Whether times are easy or whether times are hard, whether he's having victory over his enemies or whether he feels like he's about to be killed, he still has the same desire. And that's what this psalm is calling us to. It's calling us to be people who desire God, who wait upon the Lord, whether things are easy or whether things are difficult, whether things are going our way or whether they're not going our way. He, in the second half of this psalm, cries out to God in lament because he's turning to God in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his strife, because he knows that ultimately, no matter how he feels, no matter what things look like, no matter how bad things seem, he can still trust God. That's what he's doing here. In verse 8, he says that God has commanded him. God has commanded us as his people to seek his face. David says, I'm doing that. He's telling God. He's bringing his complaint before the Lord and saying, I'm doing the things that you told me to do. Because of that, verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. He's reminding himself of who God is, even as he's saying that he doesn't feel like God is doing the things that God said he would do. He says, cast me off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. He knows that God has saved him. He knows that God isn't going to forsake him, but he feels like that's what God is going to do. He says that his mother and his father have forsaken him, but he knows, verse 10, that the Lord will take him in. David, in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of his, him, he's trying to come to grips with what he's facing. He's pouring out his trust in the Lord in the way of lament. He knows that God's not ultimately going to forsake him, even though it feels like he just might. In verse 11, he asks God to act. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. He's asking God to give him guidance, to give him help, to be his light and his salvation, to be his stronghold, to help him navigate the current circumstances that he's in the midst of so that he can make his way through them. He says, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. He's asking for deliverance. 
Notice the shift between verse 6 where he knows that the deliverance is going to come. And he's praising God before it, even before it gets here. And here in verse 12 where he's asking God to deliver him, kind of unsure of whether or not it's going to happen. He is at a different place, but the desire is still the same and the trust is still there, even though the circumstances have changed. And we see this in verse 13. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David, despite his circumstances, despite his feelings, despite how bad things are, he ends in a place of faith. He ends in a place of trust. He ends in a place of confidence in the Lord, regardless of how things are happening around him. And in verse 14, he shifts his focus. Right? He's, he's expressed this confidence despite his circumstances. He shared his experience of what he's going through and how he ended at a place of trust in the Lord. And then in verse 14, he shifts to an outward focus to tell us what to do. God uses David here in this psalm to give us an exhortation. Whether we're in a good situation like the first half of the psalm or whether we're in a bad situation like the second half of the psalm, he wants us to hear this exhortation in verse 14. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word wait here is a command. And he gives it to us twice. Because he knows how impatient we are and how hard it is for us to wait. He's telling us, God is commanding us in this psalm to wait for the Lord. To wait upon him. To be like David where what we desire above all else is to be in the presence of God. He wants us to wait. Whether things are good or whether things are bad, we as God's people are called to be people who wait upon the Lord. And this isn't a a passive kind of idle waiting. And I think that when... We think of the word wait or us having to wait. We think of it as kind of a waste of time. There's something else I could be doing right now. There's something active I could be doing. Waiting is passive. It's idle. It's us doing nothing because we're waiting for something to happen. But waiting upon the Lord is not that kind of waiting. It's not idle. It's not passive. Waiting on the Lord is an active, engaged life of prayer that intentionally and consistently seeks the presence of God above all other things, full of hope, full of faith, full of confidence and expectation that God's presence will meet us when we pray. Waiting upon the Lord is not passive. It is active. It is engaged. It is expecting fully and faithfully that help comes from the Lord. God has told us to be people that wait upon the Lord. God has told us to seek his face. Let's be people who do that, who like David can say, God, you told me to seek your face. I'm seeking your face. God, you told me to wait upon the Lord. I'm waiting on you to be people who can cling to those promises from God, who can say we're fulfilling those commands. Let's be people this Advent who wait upon the Lord and confidently expect him to meet us with acts of deliverance and mercy and grace in our daily lives. Waiting on the Lord is not offering up some half-hearted prayer and then going on with our lives as if nothing's going to happen. Waiting on the Lord is us sitting in his presence, seeking his face, and then living our lives in the expectation, in the anticipation that he is going to act on our behalf. Just like at Christmas where we 
buy a present, and we anticipate someone opening it. When we wait on the Lord, we ask him to act, and then we live our lives actively anticipating his answer. We, as his people, have so much to look back to. David, in this psalm, one of the reasons why he has such a trust and confidence in in God is because he can look back on his life and see examples of times in the past, past that God has been his light, God has been his salvation, God has been his stronghold. He can point to those things and say, God, you are those things. You've done those things. That's why I trust you. We have so much more to look back to than David did. We can look back to Jesus coming. At Christmas, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus was born. He did come into this world. He lived a life that we couldn't live of perfect obedience to the Father in our place. He went to the cross and died in our place, bearing the penalty for our sins. God is our salvation, and we can see that by looking back to Jesus. We also have so much more to look forward to than David did. David can be standing in the midst of an army encamped against him and looking forward to the fact that God is going to deliver him from that army. But there's another army coming after that. There are more enemies lined up to take him down. We look forward to the day when God is going to set all things right, when God is going to conquer all armies, all enemies, all adversaries, once and for all. We get to look forward to so much more than David. And so because of that, we should be people who are more willing and more eager and more expectant to wait upon God because we know that he has acted on our behalf in the past and he will certainly act on our behalf in the future. And so this Advent, let's be people who wait upon the Lord, knowing that God calls us to and commands us to and will meet us in our waiting. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you that in your word you tell us what you expect of us. You tell us what you desire of us. You uh, command us so that we might be the people that you want us to be, the people that you created us to be, that we might flourish as your sons and daughters. And we thank you that one of the things you tell us to do is to seek you out, is to desire you, is to to want to be with you, to wait for you. We pray that you would Send your spirit to make us a more patient people. To make us a people who aren't just willing to wait upon you, but who are eager to wait on you. We pray that you would transform and, and renew and, and supersede the desires we have in our hearts so that we might be able to say what David says in verse 4, that you might be what we desire above all else, to be in your presence, to gaze on your beauty, to wait for your counsel. We pray that, that this season of Advent, in the midst of, of lots of, of suffering, in the midst of lots of struggle and chaos, 
that we would be people who wait upon the Lord, knowing that it is from you that our help comes from. I pray that as we continue in our service this morning, that you would use your spirit, you would use the words of these songs to remind us of the many, many reasons we have to look back and look forward and see reasons for hope and faith and anticipation at your deliverance. And that you will meet us with your presence when we wait upon you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.